Amen. You know, uh, that's a challenging prayer. You know, we all, we all say, you know, yeah, God, I'd send me, Lord. But to pray that prayer means that you're going to be responsible for what he says to you. And, and listen, you know, from the front to the back, from one side to the other, there is not a single one of you in this place that God would say, no, nah, I'm not sending you. None. So the question isn't like, God, will you send me? Will you do that? It's will we pray that prayer? Not just make the statement, but pray that prayer so that God could do through us what he has called us to do. And, and I'm going to challenge you with it. I'm, I'm not going to challenge you in this. The word's going to challenge you with this today. I, uh, I, I told the first service, and I don't know why, and then it just it hit me during second service too as I was getting ready. I, uh, I, I did not think that what I was putting together, you know, what I was putting together was going to be something that would be, you know, offensive to people. And um, then I, I started thinking, you know, it's always easy when I'm putting my sermon together to be really bold. When I'm all alone, I can just be as bold as I want. But you have no idea sometimes how hard it is to stand up here and to say some of the things. I mean, I, sometimes things come out of my mouth and I think, did I say that? <laughs> so I, I don't know exactly what God wants to speak to you, what he wants to say to you, but I want you to know that I, my intention is not to offend you, but some of you are going to get offended. Okay, it's not that I want to offend you, but God's word, God does want to offend you. He wants to offend you out of wrong thinking and into right thinking. He wants to offend you so that you have to deal with truth. Because we all have to do that. And if we're not going to be offended, then we're just going to keep walking in the ways that we've always walked in, thinking the things we've always thought, and never changing and being transformed by the power or by the word of God. Because much of that is a point of offense. And when we get offended by the word of God, we have to decide, am I going to give in to myself or am I going to listen to what God is offending me with so that I can change? Well, I hate to change. Then you'll just have to remain ungodly. Because that is what we are. And so he brings us into this place of transformation. And he does that by giving us an example of how to live. Jesus Christ, we are called to be transformed unto his image. And in his word, if we go through his word, and if we really begin to study it and break it down as we have been, we find that God has a process that he's taking us through, through very, very systematically in who Jesus is and what he's done and what we're supposed to receive from him. First off, I mean, he starts off in the first part of Luke, and he starts sharing with us and revealing to us, proving to us that Jesus is God. If Jesus is not God, he is a liar, and this is all a big farce. So he goes through and he shows us, he proves to us in the scriptures that Jesus, that he is God. He goes through and he shows us how the Old Testament begins to reveal to you and I that we have no hope without him. That he is the only way out of the place in which we're lost and stuck in. And only Jesus can get us there. And so he goes through all of that and all that Jesus went through to be tempted and to experience what he experienced so that we could know that he understood what we are going through. And then he comes to this place in Luke chapter 4, that's just where we are, and then or Luke chapter 5, but in Luke chapter 4, and then in the first part of Luke chapter 5, Jesus begins to take us into the opening of his ministry. And he's doing this to, she, again, he's not doing this for him. He's God. He's doing this for us so that we can have an example of what he's looking for, what he's expecting, and what he's calling for you and for me as believers, as followers of Christ. And we're at a point right now where in Luke chapter 5 and verses 1 through 11, he begins to now call leaders. He begins to call people out and begins to call people into the ministry. And I want to read through this. If you've got your app, you can open it up and follow along. We'll put the scriptures up here. But on the app, you can fill in the blank and you're going to want some of that for your life groups today. So verse 1. This, these are, this is what we preached about, I, I preached about last weekend with you. Verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, and so again, we talked about the fact that Jesus, he surrounds everything around the word of God. All of the, the ministry, it's all surrounded around the, mini, the word of God. It's the, it's the real meat to the whole thing. It's what he does. 
And they came to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. Verse 2, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, meaning they would finish their work. They had been working all night, and they were done. They had nothing to show for it. And verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Again, we talked about why he might have done that. Verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let, your nets, uh, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, you can only imagine after working all night, Master, I mean, has Jesus ever asked you to do something that exasperated you? Come on, you know what, if he hasn't, it's only because you're not listening. <laughs> Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. It's amazing how obedience will provide the blessings of God. And God does it in abundance. God is a God, he just loves to bless obedience, especially when it didn't make sense to them. Verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so they began, till they began to sink. I can't imagine how many fish it would take to, again, to sink fishing boats. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at the knees of Jesus saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's declaring the reality that you truly are Jesus, you are God. For he and all who were uh, with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. You know, God wants to astonish us with what he can do. God wants to show himself in such a way that he astonishes us in our heart, in our soul, in our life. And he astonishes us with what he can do when we just come into a place of simple obedience. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So we ended there last week, and Jesus was calling, he was raising up and training other leaders, which for us means that that's what we should be in the process of doing. Each and every one of us need to be training ourselves up, being trained up into leadership, and then taking others along with us and training them up and training them in their lives. And so we went through all of that, and we finished that, and then what I want to do is press into the second half of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet. Your your word is an instruction for us to see how we should live, what we should do, how it is, Lord, we should walk through the times of turmoil in our life, the difficult places, how obedience supplies. And I pray today, Lord, that you administer to the hearts of men and women in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way in each and every one of us as we open up to you and all of you. I pray, God, have your way in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus was, you know, everybody was coming because Jesus, everything was about the word of God. Everything surrounded the word of God for this purpose, evangelism. It's all about evangelism. Jesus came to save the lost. He came to seek those who were lost. At the end of the day, what it's all about is evangelism. And Jesus looks at Peter in all this, and let me, let me just ask you to say, that, come on, let me get an amen on that. Amen. It is all about evangelism. One thing that we just don't like. Great. Another evangelism message. Oh, no. Yep. Because this is what Jesus says it's all about. He looks at Peter and says, you, you know, you, you catch fish. Peter, what about people? What about my image bearers? What about them, Peter? What about the fact that they're sinners? And what about the fact that there really is a hell? And what about the fact that those sinners are going to hell? Peter, what about that? So Peter, will you take everything that you've learned in business? Will you take everything that you learned in your family? Will you take everything up to this point that you've learned in life, Peter? Will you do that and will you use it? Will you utilize it? Will you help to see non-Christians come to know the God of the Bible? Will you do this, Peter? Will you help me to bring people to a place where they understand that their sins are forgiven, where they can come to a place where they realize their lives can be changed, their destiny can be altered? Peter, will you help me? 
And church, you know, I, I was just thinking about, you know, we, we have experienced so much grace as a church, as a body. We have experienced so much grace. To see what God has done in the midst of, you know, this, this little church right here in the middle of an LDS community. What God has done is miraculous. And I, have, I don't, man, I do not take credit for the miraculous. Okay, this is built on what God has done, what God is doing. It is miraculous what God is doing as he's extended his grace. We have literally, over the past few years, we have seen hundreds of people come to Jesus Christ. We have seen hundreds of people going into the waters of baptism. Going into the waters and, and declaring that they're setting their lives apart to serve God. That's amazing to me. That's miraculous to me. But at the end of the day, that takes about 20 minutes. It, does, it takes about 20 minutes for somebody to meet Jesus, go into the waters of baptism, and retire. I'm done. You know, a lot of people get saved, baptized, and retire without even getting involved in a life group. Awesome. My sins are forgiven. I met Jesus. I got some Christian friends. I belong to a church. Look what God has done for me. I'm done. Amen, Pastor Mark. Amen. Hey, what about all the other people? What about all the people out there? What about, what about them? Well, what did God make me creator? It's not my, it's not my job. Well, that's not my responsibility. Hey, too bad for them. I know, I would never say that. I would never say that I don't care about lost people. Well, and again, this is not a, any kind of indication of, of you know, what, where our political stances are at this moment. But if you really say, I, I, don't, I, know, I, I care about lost people, then why do you vote with your wallet? Why do you vote about cultural issues before biblical issues? And again, this isn't about any one thing. Please don't go there right now. I'm, I'm sick and tired of all the political drama. Amen. But church will vote for people that are anti-Christ. Because our wallet says something different. Or the culture says something different. Where, where do we stand in this moral place? Where are we in the biblical values that God wants to see us stand on and live on? Don't tell me that Christianity is just a belief system. It's not. Christianity is a belief system and a lifestyle. Amen. It is a belief system that will change and alter your lifestyle. It will dictate to your lifestyle what that lifestyle will look like. Christianity is all about what we, again, do, not what we believe, simply. Because don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you believe by what you do. And again, that's biblical. The Bible says that even the demons believe and tremble. James, Jesus said through James that faith without deeds is dead. So our deeds are important. Don't tell me what you believe. Show me how you behave. Because your lifestyle will dictate the truth of your belief system. Now, again, don't, I, please, I'll preface this, but you know, only God can save. Okay? Only God can save. I have never saved a single person. No, I mean, I don't even know that I've ever even saved somebody from danger. <laughs> I, but I can't save anybody, and, and neither can you, and neither can the church. Only God saves. Only Jesus Christ saves. He is the only one that is able to do that. But you and I, we are called to be messengers and ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is what we are. And therefore, church, nobody is done. 
Nobody is finished. Nobody's retired. There is no way. We are not done. If you're here on this earth and you have breath in your lungs, then God is calling you to stand up, to step up, and to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is calling you. But what happens is we get to this certain point in our life and all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I've done a pretty good job. I did this and uh, I did that and I put a little money in the offering plate. I'm done. I mean, what else could I do? Church, every dollar Every day, every gift, every opportunity, every resource is so that somebody else would come to meet Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life and that God would use us and through those days and those gifts and those resources that God would bring people to salvation. Look, I love non-Christians. If you're not a Christian today, I tell you what, I love you and I'm so glad you're here. We, we sometimes get to a place where as Christians, we, you know, we've disassociated ourselves with so many people that are non-Christians. And so when non-Christians come into the church, we're like, <gasps> I know, we're, we're so shocked when non-Christians act like non-Christians. We get offended. <gasps> They're using words I never, well, I used to use. They're questioning me about Jesus. Yeah, it's because they're non-Christians and Jesus is leading them to himself and he's using you. Amen. Amen. Yep. We, we, listen, we cannot be afraid of non-Christian. If you're a non-Christian today, I want you to know this. We pray for you. I pray for you. I love you. We want to serve you. We're not asking for your money. We don't, ask, we don't want your money. But this is the problem. If you're a non-Christian, you're going to hell. And that worries me. Yes, it does. I don't want you to. So I'm going to stand up here and take the chance of offending you. Because I love you and don't want you to go to hell. And I want you to know this, every single one of you. And if you're a non-Christian, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. Jesus is alive for you. And he will hear your prayers. Jesus will forgive your sins. Jesus will cleanse your guilt. Jesus will change your heart. Jesus will change your mind. Jesus will change your life. Jesus will come into your generation and he will change the destiny of many legacies that are to come generations that are before you and the reason he does that is because Jesus is that amazing Jesus is that good Jesus is an awesome God and Jesus is alive Jesus is God and only Jesus can save you and church non-Christians they don't know that and that's why we're here to tell them that. That's what Jesus left us here for. Some of you, again, we, and this is part of the sermon that makes me nervous. But some of you come into church and it's like, well, what about this program? Well, what about that program? Well, I, I've got these needs. What, are, what about my feelings? And again, let me say this lovingly. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. You know what? Get over yourself and get on mission. Get over making it all about you and start realizing that God has a plan for you, that he wants to do something through you. Start doing what God has called you to do and you'll stop being such a, such a Christian baby. <laughs> You know, sometimes we have a tendency to major on the minors and minor on the majors. We, we get into this place. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to share this with you because I want you to get the reality of where I'm coming from. Sometimes we think so many things are so important. Our precious feelings, our, our, our you know, just stuff. 
And it all seems so important until you hear the kind of stories as a pastor that I sit through and listen to. Time, I could go through time after time after time of stories of people that are just struggling without Jesus. I had a girl come in, a girl in her early 20s, and we'd sat down and, and I honestly, you know, there's sometimes when people come in and they'll meet with me, and I know right off the bat, they don't like me. I mean, they come in and sit down, they make an appointment, they come in and sit down with me, and I can tell they're just angry with me. They're mad at me already. I mean, and, and I know that the reason is because in their mind, I represent God to them. And this little girl made it very clear when she came in that I don't want anything to do with God. I'm not here because of God. I'll tell you right up front, I am not a Christian. I don't even know if I believe in God. And if he is a God, and if there is one, then he is a jerk. Okay. And come to find out that this little girl was cutting herself, cutting herself badly. She was creating some serious physical pain for herself because it was the only thing that could take the pressure off of the emotional pain that she had in herself. And we talked about that, and she came to the point, and she said this. She said part, part of the reason that she was just so angry was that years back, she was a little girl, she lost her virginity to her dad. That little girl needed Jesus. That little girl needed Jesus. Listen, I'm sorry if you don't like the band. I am sorry if you don't like the style of worship. There's people like this little girl out there that needs you. There's a world out there that is hurting and bound up. There is a world that is inflicting great pain and damage on themselves because they're emotionally so broken and so hurt by a decaying world that has totally tossed them to the side like a dead animal. And we just go ahead and walk by them. Go ahead and walk by them. There's a world out there that needs you. And we quibble because, oh, you know what? I really wish there was a drummer. Well, you know, Pastor, I have such a hard time, you know, I have a hard time finding things on your website. Whatever. Then hire somebody to fix it up. Quit complaining about it. We used to get this. Ah, the coffee's bad. Yeah. Well, step up like somebody else did and start buying some good coffee for the church then. Because we have good coffee now. Amen. Church, you know, people talk about, you, you know, you don't have this program and you don't offer that program and I don't like this and I don't like that person and I don't like the way this is done over here. Listen, church, whatever, get over it. It's not all about you. Jesus saved you so that you could reach out and be the evangelist that God has called you to be. We need to stop quibbling over the minors and start realizing that there's some majors that we're neglecting because we're so full of ourselves and arguing over the minors. There's a place where you and I got to get excited about what God gets excited about. We should be anticipating God's call, God's release. Every day should be a day filled with the anticipation that God's going to use me to be a fisher of men today. And I should be excited about that because God chose me. God put me in this place and he made me a fisher of men because I love seeing non-Christians come to meet Jesus Christ. Do you, do you realize there is nothing in this world that is more wonderful than an unbeliever coming to the place of believing in Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of the life? There is nothing on this earth that is as exciting as that is. Nothing. Do you know that every single time that happens, the angels rejoice? Every single time. Do you know what? Heaven never gets tired of it. Neither should we. Yes. Neither should we. It's all for the glory of God. It's all for the good of others. 
There's nothing about me in that. My life is not my own. It's been purchased with a price. And I am no longer mine. I'm his. And that's what it's all about. And, and, and Jesus, I love it. That Jesus, he comes to Peter, this man that, man, he did not deserve it. Praise God. How many are glad that Jesus doesn't choose us by who deserves it? Amen. Peter. Put your name in there. Peter. Let's change the course of your life. Come on, Peter. Stay with me. Follow me here, Peter. Listen, it's no longer, Peter, if you come follow me, it's no longer about how many boats you got. And it's no longer about how many nets you can obtain. And it's no longer about how many fish you bring in a week. Peter, it's all about people. It's all about people who need me. It's all about people who are dying in their sins and going to hell. It's all about people, people coming to know me. Peter, will you come help me? Will you follow me? Will you come and be a part of helping introduce people to salvation? And that's what he comes and he's asking. That's the invitation that Peter had. And that church is the invitation that he extends to every single one of us. But what's it going to cost? What's it going to cost? I mean, we have to look at that. The Bible tells us, weigh the cost. What's it going to cost? Look at what it costs in verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left what? Everything. Come on, they left what? Everything. They left everything and followed him. And I was praying about that. And, uh, and, and again, the word that the Lord spoke to me about this is that we must leave everything because anything can distract us from the most important thing. Because whatever you, whatever you don't leave or you're not willing to leave, it will be a distraction from the calling that God has on your life, from the most important thing. So we leave everything because anything can be a distraction from the most important thing. When these guys left, they walked away from, they didn't just walk away from fish. I mean, this was also, you know, the biggest catch they'd ever had. The bigger, I mean, the biggest, they'd never seen a catch like that before. And they were willing, they walked away from that. But that wasn't it. They also walked away from these nets, which were extremely valuable in that day. They also walked away from a fleet of boats. They walked away from their family business. They walked away from their family. Come on, they did. And some of us say, I will follow Jesus. if he's going where I want to go. Or, or, you know, I'll follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost me anything. And again, it's, this happens in church. Because we have, especially in the North American church, we have become, we are so, and, and again, hear me out here before you closed down. But we have become so grace-centered and so grace-oriented, and God's a generous God, and God is a giver. Salvation is a gift. And what happens is we can have this tendency when we start to press into all of that, we can start to get to, to fall into the tendency of falling into what's called cheap grace. We just, ah, I'm, I'm under grace. But let me tell you this. In your mind, when grace is cheap, so will life, ministry, people, and the church. It all becomes cheap to us. And there's nothing cheap about it. Church, grace is not cheap. Ministry is not cheap. People are not cheap. The church is not cheap. It's priceless. 
The reason we need grace is because none of us and all of us even combined can afford to pay the price that needed to be paid so that you and I could come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and find ourselves restored with the Father that we might end in heaven for an eternal life. There is nothing in this world that can purchase that. There is nobody that can afford that. There is nobody that has what it takes to be able to obtain that. That's why we need grace. It is priceless. You can't afford it. And the only way you get it is because God chose by grace to give it. And the reason we need grace is because it's not because love is cheap. It's because love is priceless. It's not because ministry is cheap. It's because ministry is priceless. It's not because the forward progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ is cheap. It's because it's priceless. And because of that, Peter leaves everything. He walked away from everything. And this is what I love he didn't say. He doesn't come and say, okay, Jesus. Jesus says, Peter, come follow me. Awesome, man, that's so awesome. Jesus called me. Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I need about three months. Well, because Jesus, first thing I got to do, I I don't want to, like Joni said in between, I don't want to be irresponsible. So I need to do the responsible thing. And wouldn't the responsible thing be, do it, Peter, you know, he didn't say, I, I got to go sell these fish because, Jesus, I need money for the gospel. I got to go take care of this. this these are, there's a lot of fish. And then, Jesus, I got to get the nets. And I got to get, I, I noticed in that last haul of fish that we broke the nets in a lot of places. So I got to get all those fixed so I can sell them on eBay. That's going to take a couple of weeks to get all that together. And once I do, these, vets, these nets are valuable. I need to sell them so that I can have the, you know, the, the money to be able to follow you. And then I got to take care of these boats, Jesus. And the boats have got some holes. They need to be fixed up. I got to do some varnishing work and some different things to get these boats ready to be able to be sold. Because they've got a lot of value too. And when I sell those, Jesus, then when I got all the money in, in my bank account and I'm set to be able to do that and I got all of my ducks in a row and I got everything squared up and I got everything and all of my affairs in order, then, Jesus, I'm going to be ready to come follow you. How many of us fall into that? You know what, Jesus, in this story, Peter didn't say anything. He did something. He didn't say anything. Jesus said, come, Peter, come follow me. And he followed him. It's what he did. It's not about what we say. What we talk about are our intentions. What we do is our reality. What do you do? They left everything. I thought, am I, am I telling everybody they should be going and quitting their jobs? No, no, please, I'm not saying that. Should some of you? Yes. Because if God tells you to do that and you trust him by faith to follow after him that way, it will be the most amazing journey you've ever been on. They, they left everything. Peter, James, they left it all. Again, we live in a day and an age when, to be quite honest, following Jesus really doesn't mean much when it comes to getting people saved. Because for the average Christian, they've never led anybody to Jesus. They've never shared the gospel. They've never told people about Jesus Christ. And for the average Christian, honestly, I would think if we were to keep a journal and to list all of our priorities... Seeing people saved probably wouldn't be in the top 100. Not if we followed after the money spent and the time invested. Not, Not if we went according to what we did. Well, that's kind of harsh, Pastor. No, well, this is what's harsh. You don't even know your non Christian neighbors. We don't even reach out to them. We don't even do the things that we can do to reach them, to go out and to be nice to them, to be kind to them, to invite. Listen, when is the last time you invited your neighbor to church? When is the last time you reached out to them with the love of Jesus? 
Honestly, do, I mean, do we really care about non-Christians? No, because I, I, I don't get it. This church is filled with all of those that at one time, including myself, were non-Christians. Church, all of this stuff, is we're supposed to grow up as Christians. We're supposed to grow up. We can't just stay and remain as immature little children. Let me just tell you a mark of maturity or the mark of immaturity. It's selfishness. The immature will say, well, it's about me. Not about them. Well, what do I get? Not about what can I give. Well, what about me being served? Rather than how can I serve? It's about well, what, about, what about what I want? Not about what the community needs. Not about what our town needs. It's the mark of immaturity. Think about it. What does a baby think about? Themselves. Feed me. Feed me. And they whine and cry until you feed them. They also change my diaper. It's, it's, it's full of something I don't like. I, 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 you know what? There comes a point when a parent gets sick and tired of changing dirty diapers. And they say to that kid, it's time to get potty trained. Church, it's time to get potty trained. Time to grow up. It's time to realize this isn't all about you. Because what do adults do? I look at the little baby back here, Chandler. Allie, I mean, her constant concern is towards this little baby. I mean, as a mom, you barely have time to take a bath anymore. You have time for nothing anymore. Why? Because you're so consumed with this little baby and with the rest of the kids and with your husband or your wife and all these different people and all these different things that are there to go. You know why? It's because you become selfless as you grow up and mature. And I know that, you know, well, we're just, you know, this church, it's just a small church. I don't even know where to begin. I'm, or I'm single or, you know, I'm, I'm new. I, I, we just started coming. I got good news for you. There's still a need, and God saved you. Therefore, you're it. Come on, you're here for that reason. You're it. Embrace it. They left everything. They left everything. Listen, what are you willing to pay? What are you willing to do so that people could meet Jesus? There are days, and again, this is another part that I'm nervous about, but Hey, there are days I just want to bang my head on the wall. There are days that, man, it, it, just, it just drives me crazy. Because when we look at the statistics, and you know, again, I, I do believe in statistics. They give us wonderful averages. Statistically, there is in the church a faithful core of people. There's a faithful core of people that are serving and, and giving and praying and, and making it happen. And I want you to know that so much of what you are enjoying sitting here in the midst of the church is the fruit of their labor. And then there are also those, many people, that are doing nothing. And statistically, there's 30% of the church that are giving or or, or serving, uh, giving to a meaningful degree. And there's 70% that are doing nothing or next to nothing when it comes to giving or serving. Those are just flat-out statistics. I'm thinking about this illustration, but can you imagine at the end of the day, after church was over, and I said to you, I said, listen, I, I, I want all the server, those who are serving and those who are being involved, I want you to come up, and I want three of you to jump on their back. And I want three of you to be carried to the car by that one person. You'd say, we can't do that. That's cruel. But that's what you're doing. 
That's what you're doing when you refuse to do what God's called you to do. He's piling on. And then what happens, and this is, just, this is just some fact here, all right? This is not to make any, well, honestly, if it makes you feel bad, I'm okay with that. Amen. Hey, but this is what happens to those faithful leaders, is they, they, they carry the load for so many people that the load was intended to be shared with. And so what happens is those people, they get tired. They get worn out. They get exhausted. They get burned out. They, they're so busy taking care of this and that and the other thing, trying to balance life and take care of ministry and all the, the junk that comes, all the babies with dirty diapers. And they don't even get a day of solitude like Jesus did. They don't get that. And they don't, because they're caring for people and caring for the things that are going on, caring for the ministry. And then what happens, they finally get to this place where they're worn out and tired. And so they just pull back. In fact, sometimes just pull completely away. And so then the program suffers. We don't have the volunteers. We don't have this and we don't have that. And then what happens, and I love you, but then what happens is that those who are greedy, those, the selfish consumers that fill the seats of churches, I talked about this a while back, so please, this is not... This is a true statement, not a derogatory term, but those that are just there sucking the life out of people, they come in and they say, well, I didn't get my needs met. You know what? I, I called and nobody called me back. I didn't get my return call. You know how I felt about that? You know what? I, I don't feel like I'm served here very well. I don't feel like this ministry has what's there to serve my needs. I, I, don't, I don't feel like that program is sufficient. You know why? Because there's a pig pile on one volunteer. And they can only carry so many people until their legs start to buckle. And then the people that they've been carrying start to complain because they don't like the kind of piggyback ride they got. Let me just say this. You know what? That's not very loving. Amen. 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 I, um, I'm going to give you, I want to just go give you four questions and I, I, I'm going to add this right here because I want you to go through these questions in your life group I want you to ponder discuss them go through that if you're not in a life group you need to get in one you need to be in a life group, church. What I saw when we were up at the camp, I saw life groups and people that had these relationships coming together. And, be, and, and it was just amazing to watch how people were befriending each other and knew each other and growing together. And it was just the most amazing thing to watch and to see. And if you're not in a life group, you need to be in a life group because that's where you're going to find the life of the church. That's where you're going to find the life of people that you have the opportunity to come together and to be able to glean one from another you're going to find that if God can talk through a donkey, God can talk to you through some life group leaders and people in your group. You're going through a bunch of stuff. And, and again, let me just also say this. Maybe you attending life group, just maybe on some broad possibility out there, maybe it's not all about you. Maybe it's what you bring that somebody needs. I want you to go through these questions in your life groups. Are you pouring yourself out in ministry? Meaning, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, Pastor, you know, I've been thinking about, no, 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 oh, what are you doing? You know, Pastor, I'm praying about, no, 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 listen. Sometimes, you know what, quit using the prayer excuse. Start doing. I'll tell you right now. If God's challenging you in some places of ministry, you don't need to pray about it. You need to just start doing it. Because it's sure not the devil calling you out to give people Jesus Christ. Well, I, I got this going on and I got that going on. Hey, you know what? If you want to let anything get in the way of what he says to leave is everything, then you're going to be distracted from the most important thing. What are you doing? 
Second question, for those who are pouring themselves out in ministry, rest and recovery and solitude, your, your Sabbath, your place of divine rest, what does it look like? What does it look like? What does it look like on a, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? What does it look like in your life? Are you getting time with God? Is that your priority? Are you getting that time with Him? Are you getting a break? Are you taking the time to... Listen, church, get your break. Don't burn yourself out to where you want to leave the ministry and bring a, a hole into the church. Make sure you're getting your time away and doing what you need to do to feed yourself, to fill yourself with God. Amen. Don't handicap. Listen, don't think that you can bear the burdens of all the ministry. I can't do it either. Jesus said this. He said, you know what? There will, go feed the poor, but there will always be poor among you. Get that time. And what I don't want to have happen, and please, I want you to hear me here. What I don't want to have happen is, is when I bring a message like this, and it's like, I feel like it's like hammer, hammer, hammer. The faithful are like, yes, I'm going to do more. And the unfaithful then feel compelled to do nothing. And church, that's not what I'm going for. Listen, I want to honor and give honor where honor is due. I want to honor those who are doing things. I want to honor those who have carried so many for so long and done so much to see this church in a miraculous way be a place for people to find sanctuary. I want to honor those people that have done that, that have provided through the fruit of their labor what you and I right now sit in. But I also want to challenge, bring assault to those who are not. I, and I say that with the love of Jesus, deep down in my heart. Amen. You'll find that God uses you in powerful ways and uses you. Yes, he does. Third question, what value do you place on ministry? You know, I know we love Jesus, but I want you to know, I love the church. I love this church. I love the people that are the church because Jesus gave his life for the church. He gave his life for each one of us that make up the church. And because Jesus gave his life as an example for us, we should be willing to give our lives for the church. What does ministry mean to you? And I love this example. For, for Peter, James, and John, it meant everything. How do you know that? Because they were willing to leave everything. Hey, you know what? What does the church mean to you? You'll find out. What are you willing to leave? Amen, Pastor Mark. Amen. The fourth thing is, are you getting trained and training others? See, Jesus reached this point in the flesh, in this world, where he needed help. And so he added disciples. He added Peter and James and John. And then they would go on and they would add more as they built this team of 12 that would come alongside of Jesus. And then they would go on and they would add disciples unto each one of them. And for those of you who are leading things, I, please, I am not asking you to do more. I'm asking you to train more. To look for people that come around that you can say, hey, I, wanna, I want you to come alongside of me in all of this. Looking for people, identifying people. You life group leaders, you know what? We have got to begin to see more groups grow. And therefore, you've got to understand, this isn't about us coming into a comfort zone. This isn't about us all just getting comfy in our own little group. This is about us coming into a place where we can receive a charge, a call, and begin to go out and begin to divide because that's what God wants us to do. Because it's not about me. It's about the call of God. It's about evangelizing. It's about creating a place where people can come and be safe. Where people can come and hear the word of God in our house, in our home. We've got to be willing to open them up because you have a home. Listen, every one of you, you have a home because Jesus gave you that home so you can open that home and use that home to see people come to know Jesus Christ there. So we need to see that happen. And you leaders in ministries and life group leaders, you need to identify those people just like Jesus did. And you need to begin to invest in them. 
Because church, and, and worship team, come on back up. Because church, the middle counts. Come on, hear me. This, I, I'm going to close with this. And, and hear the full statement before you get all bunched up here. Christianity is not just about accepting Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection in your place for your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. Okay, all that is true, but Christianity is not just about that. Christianity is also so that you could live passionately for him in this life. Where you could make this life count. Not blowing your dollars, not wasting your days. Listen, it's about giving your life for the glory of God and the good of others. It's about reaching out and getting some kingdom stuff done. Each and every one of us. That's what this life is all about. Getting some kingdom stuff done while we are here, while we still have the light, while we still have time, while there's still, I mean, the Lord has not come and we still have breath in our lungs, we have a plan that we're gonna step out and follow him because that's what this life is intended to be about. But too many people today believe an incomplete, half-hearted gospel that says simply accept Jesus and go to heaven. So what happens? We accept Jesus and we wait to go to heaven. And in the middle, we're just on vacation. We're just waiting for heaven. We're just kind of hanging out. You know, you know what people that are saved and just hanging out are? Depressed. That's why we have so much Christian depression. There's people, listen, if you're not doing what God's called you to do, then you don't know your purpose in this life. And if you don't know your purpose in your life, you will try to find it in all sorts of ways. And next thing you know, you're out there buying a new 65-inch flat screen TV. Or newest movie that's out. I, I got to go see that movie. I got 20 bucks. I don't know what to do with it. Church, you know what? You know what I need? I need more Facebook followers. I got to get some strategy and get more Facebook followers so that I can get more likes on my posts because I'm not getting nearly enough likes. The dopamine's wearing off way too fast. I got to start tweeting more so that I can get that rush because, you know what? It's just not the way it used to be. I need to, I need to do that more. And we're depressed. So we're not doing what God's called us to do. And, and so what do we do? We go out and, well, I need a hobby. I need a new pet. People are dying and going to hell. People are dying and going to hell. Go, listen, go to the movie. Tweet your tweets. Pet the dog. But first things need to be first things. Take care of what the first things are first so that we can know our purpose and plan. So many people today, Christians, describe Christianity to people and say, listen, if you just give your life to Jesus, you just give your life to Jesus, and then when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Again, that is true, but we miss the whole middle. Because that's not the end of the gospel. The gospel is for Peter, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I have a plan for you that no man can take away. You are a masterpiece created in the hands of a loving God. And I have plans that I prepared in advance for you to do. In this world, the middle counts, church. The middle has purpose. The middle, God has plans for you. He has things for you to do. Because the middle counts. And in this middle, the middle is you, the middle is me, the middle is us, the middle is the church, the middle is for us, and it is huge, and God wants us to use it. Why? So that people could come to know Jesus Christ, that hell could be emptied out, and heaven could be filled, that the angels could rejoice, and the angels would rejoice over and over and over again, because they never get tired of it, neither should we, because the middle counts. It counts. So 
What are you doing with the middle? You have to do, you have to do some soul searching in that. You need to begin to ask the Lord. Lord, what's in my middle here? Oh, listen, but don't be, don't, listen, don't ask him that. If you're going to, you know, the moment he tells you, go, oh, not that. When he tells it, because he will, he'll say, okay, I want you to come follow me. You got to be willing to leave everything. Because anything will be a distraction to the most important thing. So Jesus gives us this demonstration in the scriptures here. Next week, he gets into a little bit more of what Jesus begins to do as he reaches out and heals the leper and the paralytic on the mat. We get to some really fascinating stories here. Some pretty cool stuff that Jesus has for us. But right here, um, this is no less important. We all want to focus on these big things and all the stuff that, you know, uh, the the healing part of it. Listen, he's calling us to obedience. He's calling us to come follow him. He bought you. He purchased you. He gave a priceless sacrifice so that you could live, so that you could know salvation. And in that, this is what he calls us to. In, in Luke chapter 4, in the beginning of 5 here, this is in the beginning of his public ministry, this is what he's giving you and I as, extra, as instructions, as an example in our life. Pour yourself out in ministry. Pour yourself out. Man, don't worry, God's got more. Pour yourself out. What if I run out of gas? You'll go to the gas station and fill it back up because you got to get your solitude time with God. God's got plenty of, plenty of energy. God's got plenty of gas. Pour yourself, pour out yourself out, and then go get your time of refilling with God. Make that your priority to get that Sabbath rest in you. Then pursue your calling, not your potential. Church, there will always be way more things that you can do than what you should do. Pursue your calling, what you are supposed to do, not all the things you can do. Train leaders up. Look for people around you that can come alongside of you, that you can come and that can glean from you and be part of life together with you, asking people to come, help you, and realize it's all about evangelism. In your life groups, man, get in there and start to find out what can we do to see more people come to Jesus? What can we see do to see our group grow? What can we do to see people come into Jesus in the church? What can we do to see people baptized? What can we do to help people get plugged into ministry and get plugged into what God's calling them to do? And again, I'm not just talking about simply in the church. Your ministry is where you are. Your ministry is your neighborhood. Your ministry are the people that live around you, the people you work with, the people that, that you, that, that again, God put you there for them. It's all about evangelism. How can you go home and bake a loaf of bread to take to your neighbor? Hey, I just felt led to give this to you and wanted to bless you and thank you. Man, my pastor just sent us home and, you know, he said, go invite your neighbor and, and you were the first one I thought of. I don't want my neighbors to go, well, you were, you're a Christian, but why didn't you ever invite us? I got one neighbor and I've invited him a hundred times and he never comes. This last time I went and invited, he said, hey, Mark, don't give up on me. I'll never give up on you. Neither will Jesus. Do it. And church, the sixth last thing is the middle counts. The middle counts. What we do with it. What we do in it. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, for a body, the body of Christ that would come into complete surrender to you. I pray, Lord, that, a, that men and women would rise up in this time and in this place to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me, Lord. 
I want to be, Father God, used by your kingdom's purpose. I want to be, Lord God, one that would come and do what you've called me to do. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I surrender it all to you, Lord. Everything. Come on, in your heart, right now, what what are all the excuses that you use as to why you can't this or why you can't that? Some of them, like for Peter, sure seemed to me like that was the irresponsible thing to do. But he did it because Jesus called him to it. What's in anything in your life that's stopping you from letting go of everything? I want you to surrender all. Surrender all. Just surrender it all. surrender. Come on, let's surrender all. Surrender all. Lord, I surrender all. you to know that until you leave this world, you're in the middle. And it matters. What will you do with what the Lord has spoken to your heart today? What will you do here in the, in the middle? Because it matters. Amen? So go out today. Go be the church. Uh, first, go be the church, obviously. We want you to go out there and be what God's called you to be. But go go be a part of a, of a life group. Get it into yourself plugged in. Get yourself involved. Get into one of the groups with some of our leaders that you will bless you and be a part of that. Amen? So go be the church. God bless you. I love you. Have a beautiful day today. Go with the grace of God. Go be the church. God bless you all.